With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attention nerds. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this episode number 1288. It is a Tuesday. If you're listening to the day it is uploaded, it is June 27th. Right next to me is... Jenny, I got one name. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy, three very sane spectators. And sane spectators all around me, two of them behind me. That is for kids. Uh, I, I hope it's not a testimony of what this show is going to be about. They they are sleeping. They're, they're snoozing. So if you hear some snoring, that is what it is. It's not Kimmy. A pretty face reflected in the mirror. So perfect in every way. With every move, the picture's getting clearer. She's got it all. She's got it made. That's Kimmy. Uh, that's right. That's her new uh, theme song, her new intro. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, welcome to this episode, Kimmy. Uh, it is a Tuesday. How are you? I'm great. Now, are you resting up? Are you energizing? Are you getting, uh, you know, all geared up for the weekend? I am getting ready, yes. Th- that is good because the Riley and Kimmy show will be taking it to the streets. That's right, the Riley and Kimmy Show will be uh, heading out. And we have uh, more information about that coming up at the conclusion of this episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Kimmy, I have a question for you on this June 27th. Would you like to play nerd and pop culture trivia? Woo, yeah, let's do it. I will be asking Kimmy some questions from the Adjusted Nerd Timeline. The reason I call it Adjusted, it's went to the pop culture chiropractor, and it's had itself adjusted. That's right. Uh, it's mixed up. It's all over the place, though. That is what's really happened. And the dates are all over the place, and that's done because Kimmy is very smart, so we don't have that linear thing going, that chronological thing. Feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy. That's right. Shout them out. Yell at your laptop, desktop, tablet smartphone, smartwatch, whatever computing device you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on because we are mobile, we are global. You can take us anywhere on earth. The Riley and Kimmy show, often imitated, but never duplicated. Let's just make sure here. Are you ready, Kimmy? Are mm-hmm. are you okay? Can mm-hmm. you are you alert enough to do this? I am. As we reveal this part, uh, it's extremely early in the morning or very late at night depending upon your point of view. Uh, the sun is not up yet, so I just wanted to make sure she is wide awake. I am. All right, here we go, Kimmy. The very first question is kind of uh, doll-related, toy-related, but it's also music-related, so it's two or three things that you really love. All right. It was on this date in history, Kimmy. We're looking for the year. Elvis Presley began taping for his first television special, Elvis, 
And that was at NBC Studios in California. Now, why you might know the year is a certain doll was, well, marketed or really close to, to this phrase. It was the comeback special Elvis. I believe uh, Barbie even had that. And there was other versions of that, uh, that uh, you know, Elvis time period. Uh, he was wearing the black, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And... It is his comeback. That's what it was supposed to be. Can you give me the year within five years of that comeback, the time when that taping happened and when it aired? Um, 1960? Is that your final answer? Uh-huh. It was 1968 <laughs> that that happened. You got it the right decade. <laughs> that is the, the positive part there. Kimmy did get it in the right decade. Yes, 1968. You, don't you remember we had some of those at one time in our uh, uh-huh. in our collection when we had a collectible store? Remember that? Yeah. And now you're being yelled at by somebody in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. Mm. One of the loyal listeners to the Riley and Kimmy show is a big Elvis fan. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, you will not be able to face him. I know. I, I know. Kimmy, moving over to movies. On this date, 1973, the 8th James Bond film made its debut. It was released in the United States. The year is 1973. The Bond girl is Jane Seymour. The theme song is sung by Paul McCartney and Wings. Can you tell me? The name of that Bond movie and who played James Bond. Live and Let Die. And um, James Bond, let's see, was um, Sean Connery. No. No? This was the first time Roger Moore would play Bond. James Bond is the very first film. Okay. He plays James Bond. That's 1973. Probably my favorite Bond theme. You know, the mm-hmm. song, Bond song. Right. Probably my favorite. Love it. I remember when uh, I was working at a radio station in a certain state that was the first to go, what they called it back then was laser disc, not compact disc necessarily. They go laser disc. And these units were extremely expensive. These, uh, you know, th- these uh, laser players, they, the CD player. It wasn't like today. Uh, yeah, they, they had, you had to pay a little bit to play those, but you, and by the way, everything was stressed laser disc and the station was a dance top 40 station. I was at radio station, but we kicked off as a test that song. And the next one was, uh, the next one was yes. With owner of a lonely heart because of the separation and stuff like that, but that Mm -hmm. live and let die, uh, sounded great, uh, back then, uh, because the only, you know, you just had vinyl. Mm-hmm. And mine had scratches and stuff on it. Imagine that. Mm. I've been played a lot. Yeah. So it was great hearing it that way on those JBL speakers being cranked. I never played it loud in the studio. Never, Kimmy. Never. No. No. no of course n- not. not at all. And then we would use it to test it out on uh, at uh, appearances and stuff like that. I because I worked with somebody. We did stage work and stuff like that, and you know, mobile dances and things like that. So we always tested the sound system with "Live and Let Die." It's special to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or "Owner of a Lonely Heart." It was on his date in history, Kimmy. 1927, this branch of the military adopted the English Bulldog as its mascot. Now, was this the Navy, the Army, the Marines, or the Air Force? 
Uh-oh. You're going to get... The Army? Oh, boy. The Marines. Well... You got it on the Navy? That, you got it on that second one there, oh. Kimmy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, yes, the United States Marines, Kimmy. Uh, the Bulldog, I thought you would have known that. And, you know, to my knowledge, I don't recall the TV show Gomer Pyle ever having a Bulldog part of its episodes. I don't recall ever a Bulldog being utilized, even though it, the Bulldog was, you know, part of there. I've known many a Marine who has a Bulldog tattooed on them. They have oh. Bulldog tats and stuff like that. Or Bulldogs on their car, or, you know, hmm. stuff like that. Yes, the Bulldog. Now I know. Yeah, now you do. See see what you get when you listen to the Riley and Kimmy show on a daily basis, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learn learned me. stuff. Yeah, you learn. We, yes, we're sort of like the Mr. Wizard of trivia. Moving over to something else. 1929, speaking of Mr. Wizard. 1929, scientists at Bell Laboratories in New York revealed a system for transmitting television pictures. 1929. The Flip Wilson Show. Yes, it's on the date 1974. The Flip Wilson Show airs for the last time. Kimmy has a shot here. One out of three. She has a good chance here. What network aired The Flip Wilson Show? NBC. Oh, boy. That is scary. Yes, Kimmy got that right. It was NBC. 1974. Flip Wilson Show uh, uh, leaves the air. It's on this date, 1940, Robert Wadlow was measured by doctors. They recorded his height, and he would end up in the Guinness Book of World's Records. He was only 22 years old at the time of his death, July of 1940, but they recorded his height. Now, Kimmy, my question for you is, how tall was he within six inches? Eight foot two. Ooh, close. Kimmy, yeah, eh, kind of close. Yeah, I, I say close. Judges are almost they're like, well, you're close, Kimmy. But anyhow, he was eight foot eleven point one. Mm. Yes. Wow. Yeah, the same same height as our good friend Jake Estrada <laughs> from uh, Space Coast Comic Con, Space Coast Comics. Yes, that's Jake. He's, I think he's I think he's eight eleven point five. I'm not sure. <laughs> Just ask him at an upcoming appearance, Jake. If I offended you, did not mean to. You are a brother. 1949, this TV show premieres on the Dumont Television Network. Captain Video! Captain Video! Electronic Wizard! Master of Time and Space! Guardian of the safety of the world! Fighting for law and order, Captain Video operates from a mountain retreat with secret agents at all points of the globe. Possessing scientific secrets and scientific weapons, Captain Video asks no quarter and gives none to the forces of evil. Stand by for Captain Video and his Video Rangers. Captain Video. Making his debut, 1949. No, Kimmy, you. I know you never saw Captain Video, and no. neither did I. But there's another way you might know of Captain Video, because Captain Video, the show, became part of another TV show, a comedy that is iconic. Now, your question, Kimmy, is tell me the show that Captain Video is part of a skit. Here is your audio clue. Hello out there, Rangers. This is Captain Video. Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? I am ready, Captain Video. 
Very good. Let us all put on our official Captain Video space helmets. <laughs> Adjust disintegrator guns. Disintegrator gun adjusted, oh, cut the video. And now we blast off for Pluto and the moon. Jimmy, what is the name of the TV show that had Captain Video as a, well, skit? Well, actually, I could have done this before even the clip. I remember it is from the Honeymooners. That's right. And who is the big fan of Captain Video? Ed Norton. Attention, Rangers! I want all you rangers at home to recite the Captain Video Ranger play. Hi, Edward Morton, Ranger, third class, and the Captain Video Space Academy, two thousand pledge to obey my mommy and daddy. Be kind of dumb animals and old ladies in and out of space. Not to tease my little brothers and sisters, and to brush my teeth twice a day and drink milk after every meal. All right, that's it. All right, out! Get out! Kimmy, uh, you're right, it is Ed Norton. And why was uh, why was Ralph getting upset? What, what, why was, you know, Captain Video being played? Do you remember? I don't remember that. Well, Ralph wanted a television set, so they went half on a TV. And, uh, well, uh, Ed liked... Uh, Captain Video and cartoons and things like that and wouldn't let Ralph watch things he liked. So, And then Ralph becomes addicted to late night TV. Mm. It, it is, I love all the Honeymooner episodes, but it's probably right at the you know top three, five maybe for me. Captain Video debut on this date, 1949. If you're with us and you uh, watched Captain Video, wow, thank you for being part of the Riley and Kibbe show. And tell everybody else in the home, too, that we're glad that you listen. And and suggest it to them, too. Have, play us in the entertainment room, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, you know, right after uh, that uh, early dinner or something, you could just, ha- instead of Jeopardy, have us. Right after bingo. Yeah, or right after bingo, or, you know, maybe right after that early breakfast, too. You know, just, you know, for, be, forget the soaps. Just go right to us, right? Mm. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Riley and Kimmy Show. 1958, this TV show is seen for the last time. NBC Matinee Theater. I know, Kimmy is disappointed she never seen NBC's Matinee Theater. 1959, the play West Side Story closes after 734 performances on Broadway. The year is 1964. Ernest Borgnine and Ethel Merman were married, but it only lasted... 38 days. Ernest, wow. Uh, yes. Ernest Borgnine was known for what TV show right at that time period? Ooh. Yes. Um. Now, those um, who are children of 80s television, you would know him from Airwolf, and also you would know him from Escape from New York, even though that's not you know TV, Escape from New York. But he was popular on a TV show with Tim Conway, Kimmy, in that time period. Can you do it? I don't know. McHale's Navy is what it was. I, I bet you did. I bet they played that in your television market where you grew up as a kid, but I bet you avoided it, right? Probably. You're like, ew, boring. Okay, moving over to something else. Music-wise, Kimmy loves music. I have a feeling, though, this will be a tough one. She's going to guess something else. She's not going to guess 
correctly here. That, that sounds like a negative, but I, I know she's a true audiophile. I'm getting my marker ready. I'm going to write down the answer I think she will say. I had to go grab paper. Here we go. And I'm going to write down the answer I think she's going to say. She's going to say this one. I fooled you last time. You did. She's done that before. Check out previous episodes of the Riley and Kimmy show. Let me write this down. Uh, there we go. It's, it's, it's right there. All right, Kimmy, here is your audio clue. Tell me whose song this is it was released on this date the year is 1964 it would become a huge hit number three on the billboard hot 100 in 1964 it's the little old lady from pasadena jimmy who had that number three hit jan and dean oh Get out of here. I thought you would guess the Beach Boys. Huh. You you did that because you knew I thought you would get. Yeah, I see how it is. I shouldn't even say anything. And then I next time I won't alert you. I'll just write it down. I see how that rolls. I, I get it now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is Janadine, little old lady from Pasadena. The Beach Boys, did they record that song or not? Um, yeah. Yes, they would record that, but Janadine had it first. 1966, this TV show began airing on television. Question is, what is the TV show? Here's its theme. should be interesting kimmy can you identify that 1966 tv show debuted in 1966 can you tell me what it was dark shadows Ooh, with a question mark kimmy is right dark shadows is the answer bonus question what network was brave enough to air dark shadows on daytime television in 1966 abc that is correct ABC, which was struggling in the ratings and trying to, you know, jump out. They were doing edgier things. So this aired in the time period of soap operas. Have you ever seen an episode of Dark Shadows? I... The original TV show. No, I I don't think so. Okay. Well, all right. It might be something to check out because you you kind of like that vampire gothic kind of thing. The comic books is what I, I used to have. And mm. still like to uh, those somehow disappeared from the collection when mine adding those and I'd really like to find a Dark Shadows board game yes with teeth it came with vampire teeth oh, Gimme. wow and uh, that's one of the things if you ever find the board game it's kind of hard to find it with the teeth oh. uh, that's one that you, when you open up the boxes uh-huh. you know somebody might have like a nice looking box and you go hey I got the but it's missing like the teeth you mm. got the teeth you got it's gold yeah you, mm. you scored yeah I'd love to find that uh, you know the uh, Dark Shadows board game and that that game as a child when i'd find it around and certainly would scare me to death just the look of it because they had barnabas right on there you know barnabas barnabas collins and you had to hide it that is true i had to hide that in my tomb of dracula books now i get them in also my dracula lives comic books bring them in the house and then you know read them and then hide them you know turn them upside down and eventually put them in storage you know type stuff just the vampire ones Mm-hmm. Not the werewolf by night, not Frankenstein monster, not you know anything else. Just you know the vampire ones went mm. that way. 
Although Morbius, the living vampire, who I thought was pretty cool, the original version, he didn't qualify for that. Hmm. I don't, I because he's kind of like this misunderstood vampire, I guess. The hmm. living vampire. It was complex there. When you live in a haunted house, and I really believed it was a haunted house, the people who raised me told me it was a haunted house, and there was reasons, and Kimmy knows this, why I believed it was a haunted house, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, 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 you do strange things there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up those pleasant memories, Kimmy. I deeply appreciate that. Thank you for affecting my Tuesday in a very special way. The year is 1967. The world's first cash dispenser was installed. That happened in England. The device was a machine that operated on a voucher system, and the maximum withdrawal was $28. Not $25, $28. Hmm. 1972, Bobby Hull signed a 10-year hockey contract for $2.5 million. He became a player and coach of the Winnipeg Jets of the World Hockey Association. 1973, former White House counsel John Dean told the Senate, the Senate Watergate Committee, about an enemies list that was kept by this person who kept an enemies list. Richard Nixon? Uh, yep. 1973, the year is 1980. President Carter signed legislation reviving draft registration. The year is 1981. This song is number one on this date. Number one on the pop charts. Identify the song. Here is your audio clue, Kimmy. Her hair is hollow gold. Her lips sweet surprise. Her hands are never cold. Kimmy, tell me the name of the song. She got Betty Davis size. She's got Betty Davis size. She'll turn her music on you. You won't have to think twice. She's pure as New York snow. She got Betty Davis size. Who is the recording artist? Who had that as a hit at number one? More than once. It hit one, two times at least. Who is that? Oh, boy. Yes. Who is it? Kim Carnes. Ooh, I thought she might say Bonnie Tyler. Yes, you're right. Kim Carnes is the recording artist. Betty Davis eyes. Is that on your MP3 player? Um, I don't know. Nope, I don't do, think so. Do you have it on vinyl? No. Nope. CD? Nope. From music to television and broadcasting, that is. 1984, the FCC moved to deregulate United States commercial TV by lifting most programming requirements and ending... Day part restrictions on advertising. Some say that was the beginning of the end. It was, uh, 1984. Hmm. The year is 1985. This highway is officially removed from the United States highway system. Kimmy, it was a TV show, too, the name of the highway. Can you tell me the name of the road that actually passes through or near some areas you lived in in the state of Illinois and other states. What's the name of that road? Route 66. Oh, she's a route, not a route. You're a route, not a route? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll accept route, we'll accept route. It's, as Kimmy says, Route 66. It was kicked off as a highway from the highway system, that is. Have you ever had the pleasure of driving on Route 66? 
I don't think so. Uh, I had in the latter years, and eighty-five, and a little even later than that. Some parts that was a fun ride. Let's just put it that way. The year is nineteen eighty-seven. Living Daylights, the fifteenth James Bond film, premieres in London. It is the first film to star this person. Identify who plays Bond. I need to use your phone. She'll call you back. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. Exercise control 007 here. I'll report in an hour. Won't you join me? Better make that two. Who plays Bond? Timothy Dalton? That's correct, Kimmy. That's when... Bond started going dark, according to some people. It started getting edgier. Maybe a little bit ahead of its time. I actually like elements of uh, those Bond films. And it's worth revisiting, especially if you're a fan of the, you know, the Daniel Craig kind of things. You know, you might, yes, it's dated in some of the productions and storylines and things like that. But it's worth uh, definitely checking out. Now, the question for you, Kimmy, is what song, who had the, the song, the title opening, who had that for... The James Bond film. What was the name of it again? The movie Living Daylights. Here's an audio clue for you. Identify who the recording artist who had the opening. should be interesting. Kimmy, because you are one of the best, well, you have one of the best ears. I know you're a true audiophile. Can you identify who had that song for the movie Living Daylights? Who recorded that? Is that Duran Duran? No, it is not Duran Duran. Now, that does not surprise me you guessed that. I'll give you an extra clue here, not audio-wise. They had a hit prior to Living Daylights, the James Bond film uh, song, the opening song, their video was a black and white video with animation, and it was called... Aha. Uh-huh. That is who it is. I was going to say it was called Take On Me. Yes, it is Aha. Uh-huh. So I can understand why you would think that is Duran Duran. It was really familiar, and I, yes. of course, Duran Duran did View to Kill. That, that's correct, Kim. But it was, yeah... Uh, she's right there. Moving to sports, 1988, Mike Tyson KOs Michael Spinks in 91 seconds in Atlantic City. The year is 1989. This person is awarded a star on Hollywood Walk of Fame, a recording artist, Kimmy. Here is, well, we have two clues. Not sure if you can do it on clue number one. Here's clue number one. Tell me who it is who uh, got the uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame star on this date. What's new, pussycat? Watch new, 
get what you get. I've got flowers and lots of hours to spend with you. I thought we would throw her using one of his 1960s hits and not a later hit. You know who that is. Tom Jones. Oh. You don't have to be rich. Tom Jones, 1989, Hollywood Walk of Fame star. The year is 1991. Associate Justice Thorogood Marshall resigns from the United States Supreme Court. He had been appointed in 1967 by President Johnson. The year, 1993, Hollywood question, I should preface here, Kimmy. Hollywood marriage question and, well, sort of divorce question. Years, 1993, musician Lyle Lovett marries this actress, they divorce in 1995. Who is she? Julia Roberts. Yes. Yes, we could not uh, throw you there. The year is 1993. This recording artist is booed in Milwaukee when he dedicates the song It's Not Easy Being Green to President Clinton. He, well, he's a member of the Eagles. Tell me who he is. It's not that easy being green. Having to spend each day the color of the leaves. Who is he, Kimmy? Don Henley. Yes, 1993, he was booed. The year is 2000, a San Francisco appeals court ruled that the Rolling Stones improperly borrowed love in vain and stopped breaking down from Robert Johnson. The Stones' former record label had wrongly assumed the songs were in public domain. 2008, Bill Gates steps down as chairman of Microsoft Corporation to work full-time for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Celebrity birthday time. Let's see how you do here, Kimmy. The year is 1980. This notable is born. She passes away 1968 at the age of 87. The movie The Miracle Worker is about her and how Ann Sullivan taught her. Who is it? Helen Keller. Who played Helen Keller in that movie The Miracle Worker? That would be Patty Duke. That is correct. John McIntyre, born on this date, actor, born 1907, died 1991 at the age of 83. He appeared in 65 theatrical films and tons of television series. McIntyre is best known for having replaced Ward Bond upon Bond's sudden death in 1960 as the star of Wagon Train. And I believe Heroes and Icons is uh, one of the retro TV stations that still runs Wagon Train. You might, I don't know, maybe me TV too. Sorry, uh, uh, whatever network I'm offending. You know, I'm offended. I offended one, some, one, somebody there. One of them. Not sure. It, let's just put it this way. Uh, for kids watch uh, variety classic television, I don't know which channel it's on. You know, it's there somewhere. You can find it. Ben Alexander, born on this date, 1911, died 1969 at the age of 58. An American motion picture actor who started out as a child actor in 1916. He is best remembered for his role on a certain cop show, Kimmy. Matter of fact, he started out in the role on radio and eventually go to TV. Tell me the name of that radio television show he is known for. What is it? Dragnet. That's right. And when Dragnet came back, its original run in the 1950s, when it was brought back, Jack Webb brought it back in 1967, he wanted him to play his partner again, but he was tied up in a TV series. He just signed for another TV show, and it failed 
like one season. It was gone. So he couldn't take the role, and somebody else became the partner to Jack Webb. Can you tell me who it was? Because Ben Alexander couldn't do it. Harry Morgan? That's right. Harry Morgan, Colonel Potter, uh, got a break in a way because of Ben Alexander was tied up with a show that would fail. Identify the TV show this person, this person born on this date, is known for the mystery birthday person born 1927. Here is your audio clue. We're only giving you five seconds. Captain Kangaroo. That's right. Captain Kangaroo, the person who played Captain Kangaroo, born on this date, 1927. Who is the birthday person? Bob Keeshan. That is right now. What year did he pass away, Kimmy? Within five. 1990? He passed away 2004 at the age of 76. Next individual born on this date in history ran for United States president in 1992. He received 18.9% of the popular vote, the highest percentage for an independent or third-party candidate since 1912. In 1996, he was the Reform Party presidential nominee and received 8.4% of the popular vote, known for, well, having like charts on television when he would do individual discussions. Who is this mystery person born on this date? Was a businessman before he be well tried to be president. Tell me who it is. Here's your audio clue. That's the most expensive single element making a car. Have no environmental controls, no pollution controls, and no retirement. And you don't care about anything but making money. There will be a giant sucking sound going south. Who is that mystery birthday person? Ross Perot. That is right. And you probably, I have a feeling you actually know him because they, well, had him part of, uh, you know, skits on Saturday Night Live. You know, they were kind of making fun of him. How old is Ross Perot today within five years? Oh, wow. 92? You get it. He is 87 today. Lori Morgan having a birthday. She's 58. Can you tell me what she is known for in the world of music? What genre? Country? That's right. She's charted more than 25 singles on the Billboard Hot Country Singles and Track Charts. And she's had three number one hits, five minutes, what part of no, and I didn't know my own strength. This person having a birthday, tell me who the actor is. Tell me how old he is. We will give you a plus or minus of five. He is known for playing Peter Parker, Spider-Man, in the Spider-Man film trilogy 2002, 2004, and 2007. Oh yeah, I I don't I don't like him. Well, thank you What's for that <laughs> for that review, Kimmy. Are you going to be like one of our friends who always review when he reviews movies? It's eight point three or eight point two. Is, is that uh, I don't like him. I give him a okay. Who is he? Wow, I pushed him out of my mind. Yes, I should have made this multiple choice. Who is this, Kimmy? Give me his initials. T M. Can't do it. Toby McGuire. Yeah. Toby McGuire, having a birthday. How old is he today within five? Oh, 49. Toby McGuire would not be giving you a hug today, Kimmy. Uh, Toby That's Mag- okay. To- well, Toby McGuire is 42. I see dead people. It's notable death time. Let's see if you can identify who passed away on this date in history, 2001, at the age of 76. Eight-time Academy Award nominee with two wins. He starred in over 60 films. We'll give you just a few, not 60 here. See if you can tell me who 
the mystery person is. He starred in Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, Mr. Roberts, for which he won the 1955 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, Days of Wine and Roses, The Odd Couple, The China Syndrome, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Grumpy Old Men, and Grumpier Old Men. Who is it? Jack Lemmon. That is correct. Jack Lemmon, 2001. 2008, Michael Turner passed away at the age of 37. He was an American comic artist known for his work on Witchblade, Superman, Batman, Soulfire, and many covers for DC Comics and Marvel as well. 2008, he passed away. The year is 2009. Gail Storm died at the age of 87, American actress and singer who starred two TV shows, which I have a feeling you've probably never seen, Kimmy, because not many retro stations I know of have ran it in years. It was a long time ago that one retro and it wasn't even known for being a retro channel. Very late at night, they would run very old TV shows. She was in the 1950s My Little Margie and The Gale Storm Show. And I'd seen My Little Margie because of this. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I should not have probably been up at that hour. I was, you know, like in junior high. And it is 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm watching My Little Margie and listening to the radio at the exact same time. I did that. Mm. Yeah, can you imagine that? Mm. And at the same time, also reading. Doing all three things. And sometimes writing and, and sketching. Yeah, yeah. You see, when you're crazy, what you could do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 2012, Don Grady passed away from cancer at the age of 68. He is known as, well, a certain character on this TV show, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the TV show he is known for. You matter of fact, you can see him, I guarantee it, uh, like today, tomorrow, and the next day on Retro's Me TV very early in the morning. He was part of this TV show forever. Tell me the name of the TV show. What is the name of that TV show, Kimmy? My Three Sons. That's right. He played Robbie Douglas. You know, he would eventually become the older brother. If you only know the My Three Sons shows uh, from the color years, which... A lot of people, that's all they know because when syndication was really, you know, kicking off with My Three Sons, uh, TV networks and local stations decided, hey, we want to promote color television, so we will not air black and white episodes. So they, they just didn't have those aired. And he became the eldest son by default because the eldest son went away, moved on. And you can catch him the early years, which is interesting. The show is really – are you familiar with My Three Sons, Kimmy? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the early years, I like a lot more. I have never seen those until MeTV started running those. And that's with the, the son, Mike, as the eldest. And Robbie's in there, too. And Chip. Uh, but Chip's very young. And the dog, Tramp, really plays a role into it. And I like Bub. I actually like William Frawley better than Uncle Charlie. Uh, it's a – they do some complex shots back then. I don't know how many times it would, you know, they had to do a take, but the family's all interacting, doing dialogue, over mashing each other. And it is just, I mean, and it's just, it's chaos. He's a single dad with these boys, and it's just, it's chaos. It's not this uh, orderly leave it to beaver house. It is like a nut house. And I mean, I don't think you really got that with the Ernie years and, you know, that this was like, I mean, the dog's going all over the place. And it was one episode in particular that it is, it's brilliant what it was done. Number one, from an aspect, if you like voice acting, Paul freezes in the entire thing. He's a narrator of an upcoming rocket launch. And, and the little, the littlest son at the time, Chip wants to watch this rocket launch, but he's supposed to be getting ready like, to go to school. But the whole family is being coordinated to this countdown. 
as it's going, like they go, you know, example, five minutes till liftoff. And and everybody's just doing certain things to get coordinated out of this house with all these busy lives uh, trying to get out. It's, it's just fantastic to check out. And you can check that out. Me TV, very early mornings. Uh, I think it's like 7.30 to 8.30 uh, Eastern time. It was on this date, 2014, Bobby Womack, American Hall of Fame R&B singer, dies at the age of 70. 2016, Alvin Toffler, author of Future Shock, dies at the age of 87. Did they make you read Future Shock at Igloo High, Kimmy, or in college? No. You never had to read that. Didn't? Did you have to watch the movie? There was a like a movie that was done for Future Shock. Well, mm-hmm. how fortunate and lucky you were. I yeah, I can't say it was the same for me in my world. Kimmy did a fantastic job on trivia today on this very early Tuesday morning as we record it. Thank you. And by the way, the Riley and Kimmy show will be out and about this weekend. You can find out more by going right to our event page. That's at RileyandKimmy.com. You can find out more about ICC3, where we will be in Cocoa, Florida. You love comic books, cosplay, and filmmaking. That's just some of the things, and collectibles and stuff like that. This will be the place to go to. More information available right on our website, RileyandKimmy.com, right on our event page. Right now, we're going to honor something we talked about from trivia with the golden age of radio. Radio was new. Radio, someone still loves you. And that's a Riley and Kimmy show. And we talked about John McIntyre, the actor. He was born on this date in 1907. He had a rich history. I did a lot of film work and television work, but he had a rich history in the golden age of radio. We have a fantastic version of the golden age of radio. It's suspenseful with a little science fiction twist. It is Donovan's brain, the classic tale of a mad scientist and his brain in the bottle. It's safe for all ears. Here's John McIntyre on the Riley and Kimmy show. As I sit now outside my laboratory door, writing under the heading Experiment 87, this final entry in my casebook, I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth. I neither ask nor expect forgiveness now or hereafter. And for those who seek some explanation, I refer them simply to this casebook. Let them read it carefully. From its first entry on that ill-starred day of December the 5th. December 5th. Today I bought a small capuchin monkey from an organ grinder. The animal trembled with fear when I took it into my laboratory, and when I tried to pet it, it bit me. But I had to make it trust me completely. Fear causes an excess secretion of adrenaline resulting in an abnormal condition of the bloodstream, which would throw off my observations. So, I fed it bananas and raw egg, and finally, the creature laid its head against my shoulder. I stabbed it with a surgical lancet between the occipital bone and the first cervical vertebra. It died instantly. Well, David. What do you think of it? Well, it's 
Well, that's pretty amazing, all right. You see what I've done, don't you? Well, I... I think so. You think so? Good Lord, don't you know? Well, after all that, I'm only a second-year medical student. What of it? When I was a second-year medical student... Who is it? It's me, Dennis. Patrick, Dr. Schrott is here to see you. Oh. Well, let him come in. Uh, come in, Doctor. Thank you. Patrick didn't realize who it was. You know my son, David, of course. Oh, of course, of course. How are you, my boy? Fine, thanks, Doctor. Well, Patrick, how did it work as usual, Patrick. I see? Patrick... You didn't eat the lunch I sent in to you. Or the breakfast, either. I tried to get them to, Mother. Well, I've been terribly busy, Janice. Yeah, but you've got to eat that. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, what, uh, what is it this time, Patrick? A brain. What? A brain, a brain, a monkey's brain. Oh. Uh, well, what about the brain? Well, I'm trying to see how long I can keep the tissues alive. Is, uh, is that it? In that jar? Mm-hmm. Considerably more to it than just a jar, though. You want to see how it works? Well, is it still alive? In a way, yes. It's a fairly simple device, actually, Doctor. It's a variation on Carell's mechanical heart. You see, the brain lies in a bath of blood serum. These, uh, these rubber arteries are fixed to the vertebral and internal carotid arteries of the brain. And the blood substance is forced through the cycle of Willis to feed the tissues. Mm. And uh, over here, I've installed a small pressure pump that forces the blood circulation. See? But... How do you know it's alive? Well, that's very easy to determine. The brain, when functioning, gives off infinitesimal electrical impulses. And they can be measured. As a matter of fact, I've hooked the encephalograph to a small amplifying system. The brain impulses can actually be heard here. I'll turn it on. <laughs> Quite effective, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's effective, and it's, it's wrong, Patrick. It's, it's terribly wrong. I've tried to tell him, Dr. Schrott. He's trying to discover things that, that no man should discover. It's warping his whole nature. He's in here night and day. We hardly even see him anymore. Mother's right in the way, Dad. You're killing yourself with these... Will you leave us, please, Janice? You too, David. Oh, Dad. If you please, David. All right. Come on, Mother. It's wrong. It's wrong. In heaven's name, what's wrong with Oh, it? you and your mechanistic philosophy. Trying to reduce life to a mere matter of chemicals and test tubes. The origin of life is from a higher domain than that, Patrick, and you're... you're, you're profaning it. Your hands are shaking. Yeah. Do you have another hard night, Doctor? Oh, you can taunt me if you like. I've made a mess of my life, that's true. But I wouldn't have a part of what you're doing for all the success in the world. Oh, nonsense. You can't stop the progress of science. Every discovery of whatever kind is a step forward. And if I can prove that the brain can perform certain functions outside the body, who knows where we may be able to go from there. How, how do you know that, that thing in there doesn't feel pain? How do you know it isn't writhing in agony? Brain tissue itself is insensitive. You know that, Doctor. But as to the feeling, look... I'll switch on the encephalograph. Notice the faintness of the amplified alpha rays? Notice the comparatively slow rate of pulsation? Now, notice what happens when I tap on the glass jar. Why? Why? It feels. It thinks. Why? I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but it certainly shows marked reaction to an external stimulus. I, I wouldn't believe it possible. 
Well, the trouble with you is, Schrott, you really don't believe in science. Yeah, well, have it your own way, Patrick. But when you can manufacture love and sympathy and kindness in a test tube, well, uh, I'll be back. Are you leaving? Yes, yes. Patrick. Yes? Uh, uh, do me a favor. Shut off the pump and let that poor thing in there die. <laughs> let it die? Yes, yes. Why, if it were within my power to grant, that little brain would live forever. December 10th. I'm utterly exhausted from lack of sleep, but the events of the past five days have been of such tremendous importance that I must set them down while every last detail is still fresh in my mind. For I've had no time to make an entry in this second, in this record, since the day last week, it seems months ago now, when I had my first partial success with the brain of the capuchin monkey. At that time, however, it seemed that I was doomed to disappointment. In spite of all my efforts, the brain of the monkey ceased to live at 12.14 that night. Tired and disheartened, I lay down to sleep on the cot in my laboratory. But at that very moment, fate was contriving an occurrence which now seems destined to have the most profound effect not only upon my own existence, but perhaps upon that of all mankind. It's Dr. Schrott. Schrott? What in the world does he want? It's two o'clock in the morning. Well, there's been an accident or something. He's pretty upset. What, what of it? Where is he? Well, he went outside again. He's at the laboratory door. Well? All right. Patrick. Oh. Oh, thanks heaven, my boy. Thank heaven. Well, what's the matter? There's... There's been a plane crash on the mountains. Only one of them left alive. I, I brought him this far, but... He, he needs immediate operation. That's your job. You're a county physician. Patrick. Patrick, it's multiple fractures of both legs. The arteries are severed. The, the legs will have to be amputated. Uh, you're not in any shape to do the job. Well, that's not my fault. Take him to the Phoenix Hospital. I'm not going to take the responsibility. It's too far. We'd never get there in time. Oh, Patrick, please, please. It may mean a man's life and... and, 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 yes, and, and, and your job as county physician, huh? I'm not thinking of that. But he's an important man, William H. Donovan. Donovan? The Wall Street Donovan? Yes. Oh, you've got to help me, Patrick. Uh, uh, well, what are his chances? Oh, uh, about even, if we hurry. Well, bring him in. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, my boy. Uh, you better get some things on, David. You may have to help. Oh, sure, Dad. Oh, yeah, David. Thanks. David. Yes, Dad. Uh, uh, don't say anything to your mother. I don't wish her to be disturbed. Oh, sure, I know. We'll use the laboratory table. Before you go, put the instruments to the sterilizer. And don't forget the Geely saw. Oh, right. Oh, but... But what? Oh, I... I thought the Geely saw was only used for... for brain surgery or not always? No, hurry. They're bringing him in from the car now. Okay, oh, hurry up. In here now. In here. Careful, please. Put him right there on that table, please. Yes, Doctor. Easy. Better get yourself a gown and gloves, Doctor. Uh, right over there. You won't have time to scrub. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Thanks. Well, bad, isn't he? Pulse rapid? 
Hard for fame? Yeah, I wasn't sure we'd even make it to here. Oh, David. Oh, yes, Dad. Half cc of adrenaline, David. One to one thousand intravenous. Right. You men can go now. Is there anything else? We no, can no, do? thank you. Hey, Patrick, Patrick. I'd rather we... we were alone, if you don't mind. Uh, good night, then, Doctor. Uh, good night, and, and thank you. Now, David. David, if you'll remove the blanket from his legs. That's it. Uh huh. Hey, see. Fortunately, a forest ranger got to him right after the crash and had sense enough to put a tourniquet on each leg. But even so. <laughs> What's that he's saying? Uh, something like, sure, sure, sure. He, he said it over and over. Well, that's funny. He's got a foreign accent. Uh, he's an Armenian, I think. He changed his name to hmm. Donovan. I hadn't realized he was deformed. Well, it doesn't show us much in his pictures. Now, uh, Patrick, I, I think we ought to begin. There's no use amputating those legs. No use? He'll be dead anyway by morning. Well, won't he? Well, I, I, I suppose you're right, Patrick. You but, know I'm right. Uh, but still, we ought to try. Uh, we can't refuse to operate just because... We uh, are going to operate. Syringe, please, David. The large one. Here you are, Dad. Anesthetic. Will you give it, Doctor? Yeah, right, right. Scalpel, please, David. And the Geely saw. Geely saw. Patrick. Well? No. No, I won't let you. After your performance tonight? But he's still alive. Precisely. My mistake with the monkey was that he was dead. I don't intend to make it again. Come, come, David, the scalpel. Are you out of your mind? You're taking a man's life. I'm giving him life. Donovan won't die anyway. I mean, he would die, of course. But for a while, at least. Donovan's brain will live. Uh, you better hurry. They'll be coming for the body pretty soon. You can go now, David. Well, I, I think I will, then. David, uh, you understand, of course. Yes, I understand. Not a word to your mother or to anyone. I understand. Patrick, will the skull... I bandaged the whole cranium. It'll look like any head injury. <laughs> I hope nobody gets any ideas about an autopsy. Oh, the coroner, you can stop that. You drive a hard bargain, don't you, Patrick? You'd better sign the death certificate before they get here. You know this is blackmail. Want a drink? You don't have to do that. I'll sign it. I'm sorry, but it was a chance that comes once in a lifetime. William Donovan has one of the greatest minds, has one of the greatest brains in the world today. And now you have it. It's madness, Patrick. You think I won't succeed? Succeed in what? Turn on the encephalograph. Yeah, simple alpha waves, no different from the monkeys. You can't take a human brain out of its body and expect it to function. Did it ever occur to you that the brain might simply be asleep? Asleep? Certainly. Operation like this is a severe shock. Now, tap on the glass. Good Lord, Patrick. Delta waves, it was asleep. You woke it up. It's actually conscious. Yes. There are three of us conducting this experiment now, Shrout. You and me and William Horace Donovan. Mm-hmm.
December 17th. I've moved my bed into my laboratory, but I've scarcely slept in six days. There can no longer be any doubt that the brain responds like a sensitive seismograph to vibrations near it, including the sound of my voice. Yet I've found no method of communication with it. I've devised a simplified Morse code consisting of taps on the glass container together with voice vibrations. Perhaps we can teach the brain. December 22nd. Schrott has come to stay with me. Half out of a feeling that he shares with me a common guilt. Half out of scientific curiosity. But I have scarcely seen him. And both David and Janice have been avoiding me. Not that I really care. I have been tapping out my code on the side of the brain's container endlessly, day and night, over and over a thousand times, so that a baby could learn it if the brain can learn. I sleep only when the brain itself falls into exhausted slumber. When it wakes again, I resume my tapping. Shrout! Shrout! Wake up! Get up! Hurry! Well, what's the matter? Come. Is something the matter? Come, I want you to see something. Look, Patrick, you, you, you look like a ghost. Well, where are we going? Back to the laboratory. I can't believe it myself. I may have been dreaming. Delirious. Well, what happened? What come, happened? come on. You hear that? The delta waves. Yeah, it seems disturbed. You've got to check my observations for me. If my reasoning is wrong, tell me. I, I can't be sure of anything anymore. Yes, Patrick, yes. Now, now listen carefully, Doctor. You know I've been trying to communicate with the brain in code. Now, if I were able to cause a distinctive pattern of the brain's delta waves by a specific command in code, if the brain responded with the same pattern of sound each time I issued the command, it would prove that I had succeeded in communicating with the brain, wouldn't it? Yes, Patrick, yes, I, I think it would. Now, listen. Donovan. Donovan. If you understand... Think three times of the word talk. Three times. Talk. 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 He, he answered. He, it spoke. Try it yourself. Just as I did the same word three times. Donovan. Talk. 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 Then I'm right. It's true. Patrick, this... this thing has learned to talk. December 23rd. Schwartz romanticizing, of course. The Delta pattern is so infinitely complex that it would be utterly, utterly impossible ever to break it down into specific words. Yet that it understands me that it's trying to communicate with me is certain. Schwartz suggests mental telepathy, that I try to make my mind a blank, as the mediums call it, while at the same time increasing the energy content in the plasma that feeds the brain in the hope of stepping up the brain's electrical potential, as one would step up the power of a radio station. But naturally, telepathy is nonsense. But the feeding theory intrigues me. I shall try it. December 31st. Notice today for the first time two distinct nodules of new brain cells on the frontal lobex. 
Electrical potential is increased to 510 microvolts. I've begun smoking cigars, although I've always hated them before. Nerves, I expect. January 6th. Nodule still growing. Electrical potential 1450, but with no observable results. I've lately felt a compelling urge to know more of Donovan's life and have com collected every available scrap of information about him. Strange man, ruthless, actually evil in many ways, but nonetheless an extraordinarily brilliant mind. in your sleep and talking talking what did I say I'm I'm not sure but your voice was so strange that Janice, uh, Janice uh, what's the matter oh that's nothing I was dreaming that's all Janice woke me up Patrick Patrick let me see your hand no hmm? no 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 the other one well, what about it you're uh, you're not left-handed are you I know then why have you got ink on the fingers of your left hand? Uh, I don't know. Well, were you writing anything tonight? No. Why, you must have been, Patrick. Here it is, right here on your desk. Nonsense. I... Wait. Let me, s let me see it. Well, you've been writing his name. William H. Donovan. Schrott! That's not my handwriting. It's... What? What? Why, don't you see what it means? The brain has communicated with me. Patrick, you don't mean... Look here. Uh, look at this bag. Look at this magazine article. Here's a reproduction of his signature. And he was left-handed, too. It says so here. It is. It's exactly the same. What a fool I've been. Look at this picture. Smoking a cigar with his left hand. I wondered why I'd suddenly started smoking cigars. And the, the same brand, too. Janice. Janice, try to remember what you heard me saying just before you woke me tonight. Now think. Patrick, I... I can't believe... Think, Janice. All I heard was something like, sure, sure, sure. Sure, of course. Don't you remember, Shot? He said it that night. It was the only thing we ever heard him say. It was an expression of his. It, it tells about it in one of the articles, too. It... it wasn't your voice, Patrick. You see? Aha, you were right, Shot. The brain has grown. And it's strong enough to influence not only the higher functions of the frontal lobe, but the speech centers, the motor centers of another brain. Patrick. Patrick, if this is true, then your experiment has been successful. It's ended. Ended? Why, it's only begun. Patrick! Don't you see what this means? Patrick, listen to me. What, Janice? What? You've got to stop. Stop? I can't stand it any longer. Can't you see where it's led you? When you cut yourself off from your family... When you neglected your health and began having fits of temper and were like... like someone I hardly recognize as the man I married. 
All that I tried to understand. But don't you see what you've done? You're a murderer, Patrick. A murderer! Janice! David told me the whole thing. The poor boy's half insane himself from worry. Insane? What do you mean by that? What I say! You killed Donovan. Maybe he wouldn't have lived anyway. But you killed him. And now this... This thing has gained such power over your mind that it can make you do things you don't even know about. Oh. For all you know, it could make you do... Anything. Anything! You've got to choose, Patrick. Janice, please. I I suppose you're right, but I'm utterly exhausted. I can't even think anymore. You've got to think. Give me until tomorrow. Let me sleep, and then tomorrow I'll do something, I promise you. All right, Patrick. But if you don't do something, if you don't destroy that thing, I will! Listen! Listen! Oh, I hate it! Janice, it's almost as though it had heard you and were raging at you. Way, please, Dr. Corey. <laughs> but, Patrick, why are we going in here? A psychiatric. I told clinic? you I'd do something, darling, and I've got an idea. You mean having yourself psychoanalyzed? Something like that? Something like that. I'll tell you about it later, dear. First, I want to talk to this man alone. Dr. Zanger, this is Dr. Corey. Oh, how do you do, Dr. Corey? Ah, I've heard something of your work. Oh, yes. Oh, and uh, this is. Uh, Mrs. Corey. Oh, of course. Excuse me. Uh, I'm happy to meet you, Mrs. Corey. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, uh, won't you come into my office, Doctor? Yeah, uh, Janice, would you mind waiting here in the reception room? I I'll be out in just a moment. Why, certainly, mm. dear. Uh, in here, please. Well, Doctor, she seems quite normal. I had expected from what you told me on the phone. Yes, I know, but I... I can assure you, deeply as it pains me to do so, that she is quite insane. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Paranoia. She's always been a little jealous of my work, but lately she's developed the most extraordinary delusion. Hmm. She, she thinks that I've created some sort of a monster in my laboratory that controls, that, that, that controls my mind, my, my actions. Yeah, I have uh, heard of such cases. In it was a great shock to me. I thought of you at once, of course. I'm putting her completely in your hands. Well, it is a little unusual, but since you are yourself a medical man... I know you do everything you can. Yes, you, you definitely wish, then, to commit her, huh? It, uh, yes. You have the papers. Uh, here they are. Uh, just your signature will be enough. Hmm. Uh, you are. Mm. You, <coughs> you keep me informed. Oh, won't you? Naturally, naturally. Well, goodbye then, Dr. Corey. We will do what we can. Patrick? Uh, Mrs. Corey is staying with us, Miss Wilcox. Yes, Dr. Sanger. Patrick, come back. Oh, it's all right, Mrs. Corey. Patrick? Just come inside with me, please. Patrick! No, no, no. Where are you going? Come along, Mrs. Corey. Let me go. No, it's all right. Come Let on. me go! Oh, Yes? About the bill, how do you wish it to be handled? Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'll take care of it by the week. The checks will be signed. William H. Donovan, 
January 15th. It's nearly a week now since Janice went away. I cannot understand how she could have left me just when I needed her most. When I try to question Shrout or David about her, they only look at me strangely and change the subject. Clearly, they too are in on the conspiracy. Sometimes, it seems, the only person I can trust is Donovan, the brain. It communicates with me more freely now each day. I know it has some great plan in mind for me, for both of us. And I'm waiting, patiently waiting. Donovan, I'm listening, Donovan. Don't be angry, Donovan. I'm trying to understand. I'm, I'm listening, Donovan. I'm listening. Tonight's full hour of suspense, Mr. John McIntyre appears as Dr. Patrick Corey in William Spears' production of Donovan's Brain. Tonight's study in suspense. In just a moment, we will return with Act Two of Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And now, back to our Hollywood soundstage and your host for suspense... Mr. Robert Montgomery. At the outset of Experiment 87, we were concerned with a man of science who had a wife and a son whom he loved and who loved him. He was a gifted scientist, dedicated to his work, and he signed his name with his right hand, Dr. Patrick Corey. That was before Donovan's brain. That was before his psychological fiber weakened against the force of a powerful obsession and with this weakening, his power to direct his knowledge has become twisted. Now we look again at Dr. Patrick Corey, man of science. He has alienated friends and family. He has had his wife committed to an institution. His entire life has become a thing contained in a vat, controlled by pounding electric waves, and he signs his name with his left hand, William H. Donovan. And now with John McIntyre as Dr. Patrick Corey, and with Act Two of Donovan's Brain, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense! January 16th. It is now six weeks, exactly 42 days. For six weeks, by artificial means alone, I have kept alive... A human brain, completely detached from the body, floating in the bath of serum, nourished by a synthetic blood plasma fed through its arteries by an electric pump, it has remained alive. Not only alive, but I have succeeded in communicating with it. For I have even induced new growth of brain cells and so tremendously increased its mental faculties that by sheer brain power alone it is actually able to communicate its thoughts to me. And each day, my communion with that living, pulsing mass of grey matter that was the brain of William Donovan becomes stronger and stronger. 
Even now I sense it striving to reveal some plan to me. Something so truly world-shaking in its implications that only such an organism developed to a point thousands of years ahead of its time could ever have conceived it. So far I sense this only. But soon I shall know. Indeed, I shall be a partner in its execution. What a fool I was ever to have considered for a moment my wife's demands that I end the experiment. It's because I refused, of course, that Janice left me a week ago without so much as a word of explanation of farewell. Even my son David and my assistant Schrott are privy to this conspiracy to thwart me. For when I asked about Janice, they pretended to know nothing or seek to avoid my questions. But the brain will live. I can hear it now. Its delta waves quite audible over the amplifying system I've arranged for it, almost as though it were calling to me, trying to speak to me. Yes, the brain will live. Donovan. Donovan, what is it? What are you trying to tell me? Go on, Donovan, go on, I'm listening. Go on. Who is it? What do you want? We want to talk to you, Dad. I have no time to talk. I'm busy. Please open the door, Patrick. It's important. Go away. I tell you I'm busy. Please, Dad. Can't you leave me alone? But... All right. All right. Thanks. Now, what is it? Patrick, won't you come into the study with us for a few minutes? Whatever you got to say, you can say right here. You know I can't leave the laboratory. Dad, it's only that... We wanted to talk to you in, in private. Don't tell me that you're afraid of this poor mass of brain cells. No, here. it's not that, Dad. Never mind, David. At least turn that thing off then, will you, Patrick? <laughs> what difference would that make? It could still hear, couldn't it? All right, well, what is it? It's... it's about Mother. Oh. So she put you up to this, did she? I thought the truth would come out sometime. Dad, listen. She tried to stop this experiment from the beginning. She thought she could blackmail into quitting by leaving me. And she still does, and now she's using you as Patrick, a go-between. Patrick, please, listen a minute. I've heard enough. We haven't heard a word from Janice. We don't know where she is. That's what we came in to talk about. Oh, have you? Well, how should I know where she is? Because, because you were the last person seen with her, Dad. I was. Don't you remember, Patrick? You took her into town with you. You wouldn't tell any of us why. Oh, oh yes. Of course. For a moment, I'd forgotten, but what of it? Don't you remember what happened then? Well, of course I remember. She left me, that's all. Well, where, Dad? Where did she leave you? What were you doing? I, I, I don't know. We were in some big public building. It's the city hall, courthouse, taxes or something, and the next thing I knew, she'd simply disappeared. Is that all? Didn't she say anything? Didn't she, uh, didn't she at least tell you why she was going? How do I remember what she said? It's been a week and more. I've hardly slept. And... You know I've been working night and day. Yes, that's just it, Patrick. What do you mean by that? Patrick, you say that this, the brain, communicates with you, tells you thing of, things about its past life, suggests thoughts. Well, if the brain can make you think things, why can't it also make you forget things? Leave me alone. Dad, are you sure? Are you sure you don't know what's happened to Mother? No, no, I tell you, but no. But don't you see what you might have done? In heaven's name, stop now while there's still time. Get out of while here! While there's still time to help Janice, if there is. While there's still time to help yourself, Patrick. Shut off the current. You... Let the brain die. Kill it, Patrick. Kill it. Get Kill out. it. Both of you. Get out. Get out!
The brain continues to give us more and more easily, but nothing further on what I have come to think of as the plan. I am now sleeping a great deal, but my dreams are becoming increasingly troublesome, although I am at a loss to analyze them. Most frequent is a sort of vast cosmic ballet, presided over by the colossal figure of a young man who I seem to recognize, and yet I never see his face. It is as though the entire population of the Earth were moving past him in review at his command. No, 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 David, don't let him touch oh, me. Lady. Don't let him touch me. It's all right now. Here, here's a glass of water. Yeah. Well, what's the matter? You're trembling all over. I, I can't. What are you looking at me that way for? You look frightened half to death. Dead? Well, what happened here anyway? I came in and found you on the floor with your hands around your own throat. If it hadn't have been for me, what? Why is your luggage all packed? I, I was going to leave. Leave? In the middle of the night? Why? Because I... The fuse box. It's been opened. It was you, Schrott. You were going to shut off the current. You were going to kill that brain. Patrick, you tried to strangle me. What? It's true, Dad. That's why I had to slap you. But that's absurd. I came in here and I found Schrott with his hands around his own throat. He was strangling himself. Dad, please think a minute. Nobody can strangle himself. Look at these marks on my throat. You think I could have done that? No, it's not possible. And yet... It's true, Patrick, true, that I tried to shut off the current. I was afraid for you. But as I opened the fuse box, I heard the delta waves in the laboratory suddenly become stronger and louder than they'd ever been before. And then... And then I... Yes, yes. Then the brain... You... You even spoke in Donovan's voice, Patrick. His voice? Yes, that recurring phrase of his. Sure, sure, sure. In his very tones, his very accent. You've created a monster, Patrick. It has the power to make me commit murder. Patrick, what about Janice? Shot, you... You don't think I, I... I couldn't have done a thing like that. You couldn't have done what you did tonight if you'd been yourself? No, no. I, even a hypnotist can't force a man to... Don't, don't worry about it now, Patrick. It's probably all right. We'll try to find it tomorrow. We'll do everything we can, but first... Dad, don't you see? Dr. Schrott was right. You've got to destroy... Uh, well, maybe... Maybe then I could remember it, yes. The brain must die. Pull the switch in the fuse box. It will only be a matter of seconds then. Yes. But... You've got to, Patrick. Schrott! David! Help me, I can't move. Come to me. Pull the switch. Hurry, stop. David, go on. You. You too. It's, it's paralyzed us, Patrick. The brain won't let itself be killed. Then it 
has the power to live on and on, to command us as long as we live, to make us do anything it wants, to kill, murder. Dad, what are we going to do? Listen, Rain. It's, it's laughing. February 2nd. Schrat has left. He had to, of course, for his own protection, if nothing else. Before he left, I swore him to eternal secrecy. And he's going to try to find Janice. The very thought that any harm might have come to her through me is enough to drive me almost mad. As for David, he's strong enough to prevent any untoward accidents. And he's volunteered to stay with me. He'll sleep at night behind locked doors. We must devote every faculty we possess, together and independently, to finding a way of destroying the brain. Perhaps while it sleeps, although it seems to have developed tremendous powers of the subconscious which operate even in sleep. A recurring dream. The now oppressive sense of some further task to be performed continues. Oh, if Janice were only here, even her presence, I know, would help immeasurably to combat this fearful thing. A terrible thought crosses my mind. Could Schrott have left if the brain had not, for some reasons of its own, actually wanted him to leave? February 6th. My thoughts are less and less my own. The dream of the young giant bestriding the earth, the figure without a face, pursues me now, even in my waking hours. Increasingly, I seem to live in a world of evil fancy. Peopled and controlled by the mind of William Donovan. And worst of all is the obsession that there is some fateful role not yet revealed to me. But I have been assigned to play in it. But I've not given up hope. I must destroy the brain. The possibility has occurred to me. I must give it more thought. If Janice were only here. Janice, my darling. How are you, Patrick? Well, well enough. But Janice, where have you been? Where have I been? Yes, we had no idea. I've been half crazy worrying about you. Did Schrott finally find you? Uh-huh. Uh, Schrott found me. Well, Janice, why did you leave me that day? Why didn't you at least tell me? Where, where did you go? I was with friends. Did Schrott tell you anything? No. N nothing special. Janice, I know I haven't been a very good husband these last months. I haven't been very kind or considerate or even civilized. I haven't been myself, Janice. I know, Patrick. My poor darling. But if you'd only known how I missed you after you left, how I needed you, I, I need your help, Janice. I know, Patrick. I came back to help you. But, but what? Where's 
only sleep in the next room ever since... That is, lately he's... He's tried to make it a point to sleep only when I do. Keep an eye on things. Patrick, I'm going to help you all I can, any way I can. I'm going to. But first, I want to take David away. David? Because I don't think it's good for him to be here. I don't think that you... Then Schrott did tell you. Yes, Patrick, he did. Oh, Janice, Janice, Janice. I don't know what to do. My mind is only half my own. Lately, I don't even know what I'm... what I myself... or whether I'm someone else. It's... it's like some frightful nightmare, only I don't wake up. I'm afraid I'll never wake up. My poor dearest... Janice, you... you do love me still. Yes, Patrick. It's the only thing I have left, Janice. It's what I've counted on and clung to. And that somehow, out of your love, you'd find a way to help. No one else can. I know. Poor old Schrott didn't even dare to come back. Yes, well, I can't blame him. Patrick, I don't want to torment you. It's only that perhaps we can find a way if we know all the facts. What, Janice? Don't you really know where I was? No, how could I? Don't you remember where you took me? Well, I took you? You took me to a psychiatric clinic, Patrick. You had me committed. Oh, Janice. No, Patrick. Not you. Donovan. It was because I tried to make you stop the experiment. Kill the brain. As you left me there, you even spoke in Donovan's voice. Sure, 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 you said. I thought they were the last words I would ever hear you speak. Oh, Janice, forgive me. I couldn't persuade anyone I was sane. After what you told them, everything I said only made them think I was mad. I'm not mad, am I, Patrick? I'm not mad. Janice will be gone for some three hours. I have sent her into town for Dr. Zanger, the psychiatrist. Maybe he can help. But now I'm overcome with the thought of the humiliation I shall have to suffer when other medical men become aware of the position I'm in. It will be the end of my career, my reputation, all my hopes. It's folly to think that Zanger would keep it to himself. Indeed, he would have no right to. I can bear it if I must. But another way, a possibility came to me yesterday. And I've been thinking it over. There's no harm in trying it in an event. I must try. I have three hours. David! David? Yes, Dad? David, what's your blood type, do you know? Oh, as a matter of fact, I don't think I do. Why? Well, no matter. We can easily find out. David, I think at last I know a way. To, to kill the brain? Yes, it's simple. Perfectly natural, and yet nine chances out of ten is something Donovan would never have known about. I do it myself, but unfortunately, my blood type is the same as his. Oh, a transfusion? Of course. I have to replenish the blood substance periodically, anyhow. It's about time to do it again. I've always used my own because it was the same type as his, but if yours is a different type, the right type. Well, you mean the wrong type? Yes. Given the wrong type, the brain will die. Yes. 
It sounds possible. I'm sure of it. I know it. Oh, but, but suppose the brain knows. It, it knows other things. Yes, I thought of that. It's a chance we'll have to take. If you're willing. Oh, of course I am, Dad. Then we'll take a blood sample now. Come to the laboratory. If only I have the right type. Or rather, the wrong type. If you haven't, we'll find someone who has. Maybe Schrott. Now, just lie down there on the table. You want a tourniquet on your arm. There. I'll, I'll put it on. This, all, this small syringe will do it. Now. Uh, go ahead. I'm ready. Hey, David. Don't watch me. It'll be easier if you don't for me. Well, that's a funny one. Coming from you. Well, doctors are never quite as steady with members of their own family, you know. Ready? Sure. You all right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm all right. Me through in just a second. You getting it all right? Yeah, it's just a second now. Dad, I'm sleepy. You'll be over it in a moment. But what's the matter? Why am I so, so sleepy? You'll be all Anesthetic is for to make you sleep. I was somewhat surprised to find the instrument sterilized and already lying out. But I worked more rapidly and skillfully than ever before in my life. I made an incision just below the hairline, laying back the scalp as far as the base of the skull. I trepanned the cranium at two centimeter intervals, working back and downwards to the upper edge of the occipital bone. With a genie saw, I cut through the connecting bone structure and removed the entire top of the cranium, placing it in saline solution to preserve it. I made a semicircular incision in the dura mater, laying it to one side, exposing the brain. As I dissected out the facial, auditory, and pneumogastric nerves to free the medulla oblongata, I became conscious of an insistent clamoring. Something like a mounting hysteria in the distant reaches of my mind. Almost as strong as the irresistible compulsion that drove me on. But my hand did not falter. With a sure stroke, I severed the spinal cord. Just below the first cervical nerve. As I make this last entry, with that awful guilt upon my soul, even now I cannot fully comprehend how it has been possible for any man, by mortal or immortal means, to be driven to such a crime. Even the divinity himself did not demand of Abraham that final sacrifice of expiation, when he, with his only begotten son, ascended the Mount of Olives. Perhaps Schrott is right. Perhaps there is indeed in man some spark of the divine that will elude our test tubes and our laboratories until the end of time. Perhaps that is the one thing that even Donovan did not foresee. I only know that at the instant my son died under my own hand, 
I was set free. At that instant, I saw and understood for the first time that monstrous plan born in the brain of William Donovan of which I was to be the instrument. It was the plan I had glimpsed but never grasped in the recurring dream. Donovan did aspire to the domination of the world. And with those tremendous mental faculties that I myself had given him, it was literally within his power to become the absolute ruler of all mankind. Only one thing was lacking, a body. A young, strong body into which those ever-growing brain cells could graft and affix themselves and live on, perhaps, for centuries. He chose the body of my son. And now at last, too late, I'm free to destroy this foul thing of my creation. I know it as surely as I know that my own life must be the forfeit. The brain also knows. I can hear the disturbed, erratic oscillations of the delta waves coming through the laboratory door. But there's no room left in me now for fear. I shall take the six steps from the desk where I am writing across to the laboratory door. How often I have taken them in happier times. I shall open the door, close it behind me for the last time, and write finis to the mortal life of Patrick Arthur Corey and the brain of William Horace Donovan. May others learn from the record I leave here the lesson I have learned so bitterly and profit by them. And for the things I have done, may God have mercy on my soul. bodies of Dr. Patrick Arthur Corey and his son David were found in Dr. Corey's own laboratory early today. Young Corey had apparently died on the operating table as a result of a delicate brain operation performed by his father. In the case of Dr. Corey, there was nothing to indicate the cause of death. But medical authorities who viewed the body, including the famous Dr. Gustav Zanger, gave us their opinions that he might have died of a shock as the result of the unsuccessful operation on his son. A curious feature of the case was the fact that numerous pieces of tissue, identified as being from a human brain, were found scattered about the laboratory floor, while a larger section of brain was found in the midst of an elaborate apparatus, evidently part of a scientific experiment. Medical authorities stated, however, that they were unable to explain the nature of the apparatus and that the brain itself was in such a state of decomposition as to indicate that it had been dead and slowly decaying for at least two months. Dr. Corey is survived by his wife, Janice. 
She was committed to the county asylum for the insane late this afternoon. Burial of Dr. Corey and his son will be at the Mount of Olives Cemetery. For his superb performance as Dr. Corey, our appreciation and thanks to John McIntyre. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>